Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello, hello. Hello, Haley. We are jumping right back into a, uh, I guess we could say viral miniseries, right? That's sort of what we're all watching and and hopefully the pandemic times coming to an end. But um, yeah. while they while we're still here, we might as well get into some some heavy, intense uh, uh, viral dramas, right? Yep, absolutely. So today we are going to be covering the HBO miniseries Mayor of Easttown, um, which is noted for its location and cultural references, that being okay. outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, with the wonderful accents and hoagies and Wawa and Rolling Rock. Um, it's all so, so Philadelphia. And I, I uh, have family. My sister lives in Philly and um, I have some other family and friends in the area, so it's it was really uh, enjoyable for me to watch some of these references, and I, it got me thinking. You know, you know, I think to a certain degree we all have regional, whether it's uh, accents or just sort of specific cultural things, and uh-huh. it got me thinking. You know, Haley, do you have any whether it's uh, accent experiences or like specific to your you know, living area, cultural experiences that came to mind. Yeah, totally. So actually this accent, um, is completely fake. Um, it's my natural one, um, half of the time I would say, but what's really fun about it is that one time I was in a group of people and, um, there was a linguist at this party and my friend went over to the linguist and said, Hey, there's this group group of five people over here. And one of them, they're faking an accent. And the linguist guessed two other people were faking it before they guessed that I was. Um, And I'm pretty proud of myself that my accent is so good that I actually tricked a linguist. Well, that is very impressive. Um, and and I have so many follow-up questions, but I'll just say that's that's just very impressive. And accents are so fun. I mean, the the Philly accent is a unique one. If if people watch this show and didn't know where it was taking place, yeah. it would be very confusing probably. Uh-huh. Um with the with the water and all of the other lovely. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, that hard. It is. It's fun, and and it got me thinking. You know, I I grew up outside of D.C., which you know Maryland doesn't really have an accent. Um, although if you go into Baltimore, um, it's not that far off from Philadelphia. Um, mm-hmm. so when I moved to New Jersey, you know, I think we all kind of wondered, well, is this going to be because we grew up, moved to a beach town? Like, oh, is it is it going to be? you know, surfer dudes and, and, you know, people like that. Is it going to be Sopranos, which I don't know, probably wasn't out yet when we moved there, but like, you know, more Mm -hmm. like uh, mafioso types, like what are we going to be dealing with here? And I mean, it was pretty normal dialect. Like there wasn't anything crazy, but I will never forget a couple of weeks after um, moving to New Jersey, uh, my dad, you know, we were on a walk one night and he asked me if I had heard any new curse words because that was his assumption about what moving to New Jersey would expose me to. <laughs> so um, and I don't, I don't know nothing that I could think of that I hadn't heard before, but, but, you know, that goes to show you kind of what, what our expectations of are about how people talk and communicate and yeah. then how more often than not, it's pretty, pretty universal. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then have you ever taken one of those quizzes online? That's like, which dialect are you? Oh yeah, well, well, I've taken the quizzes. Um, like, what do you call this thing? And they'll show a picture uh-huh. of 
soda or a sandwich uh-huh. or whatever, or like sneakers or tennis shoes. And based on uh-huh. what you call that thing, they can kind of tell you where you live. I love that yeah. stuff. Totally. And mine gets like New England and uh, like West Coast US every single okay. time. Which is funny because that's the two places that I've lived. And it that's it says that's where I'm from. <laughs> well, well, it, it's got you figured out then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So some things about these things are universal uh, and much like the show Mayor of Easttown itself. So um, we're going to pause for a short ad break and then let's get into this very intense miniseries. Hey everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Mayor of Easttown is an American crime drama miniseries created by Brad Inglesby that premiered on HBO on April 18th, 2021, and just finished its ultimate uh, season finale uh, this past Memorial Day weekend. It stars mm-hmm. Kate Winslet as a detective investigating a murder in a small town near Philadelphia. And the ensemble cast in- includes a wonderful group of actors and actresses, um, and the seven episodes were directed by Craig Zobel. Mayor of Easttown, all truths come to light is the tagline, which I really enjoyed. So, Haley, you know, this is and I, I obviously have been hinting at my excitement to talk about this show for a number of weeks or a number of episodes, depending on how we release our episodes. And I did not hear about this show from anyone like nobody told me to watch it. Uh, we were just looking for something to watch. This is like two months ago. And we saw Kate Winslet on uh like the hbo screen and we're like oh kate winslet um i wonder what this is about okay well let's let's try the first episode and immediately we were hooked um yeah. and i think this gets back into um you know a uh, idea we've talked about before which is why we love true crime or why we love crime mystery yeah, whodunit type <laughs> um yeah miniseries so much because mayor of Easttown has taken the nation by storm in many ways yeah it was Another one of those things that I had not heard about, and then suddenly everyone was talking about it. Yes. And actually, I heard that HBO's servers crashed briefly when the final episode released, (laughs) Um, and they were able to get it up pretty quickly, but that's how popular it is. Yeah, so obviously it centers around the character uh, uh, Mare, or Marianne. She is... Uh, detective, lead detective. It feels like in some ways she's one of maybe two or three police officers in the whole town. So she is uh, a local hero. She was a star of a high school basketball game 25 years prior. You know, she's been involved in some other high profile cases when Uh we meet her. Um, And it's clear from the start that she is a, a woman who's, you know, got a lot on her shoulders, right? So she's a detective. She's a mom. She's also a grandmother. You know, she's she it feels like she knows everyone in the town in from one way or another. So we meet her and we don't necessarily know the the depth of the things that are going on. But we learn kind of more and more about how much is actually on Mare's shoulders. Yeah. And it's a lot. <laughs> yes. She's been through a lot. Yeah. So when we we learn more and more about what she's been through, which include a divorce, mm-hmm. her ex-husband lives in her backyard which i thought was a weird thing you know maybe that's just like small town america for Mm -hmm. you but i don't know that felt like there were some boundary issues that we could talk about well she complains about it briefly she goes like we had to buy the house right behind mine yes Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, so maybe it's convenient in some ways you know family parties and whatnot yeah so she lost her son her son kevin to suicide and then Kevin's 
son. Um, they they're basically co-parenting with Kevin's, uh, I guess, ex-girlfriend, um, who is also uh, you know uh, ex-heroin addict or mm-hmm. for someone who's struggling with substance abuse, mm-hmm. um, and they're sort of battling for custody mm-hmm. of the uh, their son. Yeah. So this is a lot for one person to go through. Nonetheless, not not only. Uh, just anyone, but someone who's actively trying to solve a murder investigation. Yeah. And also her father committed suicide. Yes. Thank you. My goodness. I, I neglected to mention that as well. So, yeah. you know, almost immediately we're thrust into this woman's situation and we see how much trauma she's already been through, but you wouldn't necessarily know it just by watching her kind of navigate some of these things. You know, she's pretty rough around the edges, but, you know, she's, as far as we can tell, functioning fairly well under the circumstances. Would you say, what was your initial assessment of of, uh, of Mare? I think my main assessment of her was how she let kind of like work and trauma get in the way of relationships, you know, because she is pretty short, like the members of her family are all pretty short with each other. And well, they're all dealing with these losses in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And initially you're like, oh, maybe it's just a cultural thing. Um, And then as the show goes on, you realize, no, they're all angry with each other through their hurt in different ways. Right. Siobhan is upset that she's the one that had to find her brother. And um, she and her ex-husband obviously didn't grieve the suicide well and therefore it led to the dissolution of their marriage and it's just very clear that the trauma plays a huge role in how she has relationships and then later when she goes to therapy you find out that she kind of threw herself into her work over and above when her grief happened um so that she didn't have to think about it and then you and I am sure have spoken before about how when there's not this balance between work and life, oftentimes those relationships in your life slowly kind of fall apart as well. And we see that happen. She struggles to hold meaningful relationships, even with people who want them from her. Like they want to be like close and cuddly with her, um, but she can't really get herself there. Yeah, so we we see her trying to, and I guess sort of throw herself into work or throw herself into relationships, whether she's sort of actively trying to distract herself from her grief and traumatic experiences, or if it's just sort of comes naturally to her at this point, Uh right? Because certainly when you've dealt with the amount of trauma that we just referenced, Uh it sort of just becomes the cloud over you, right? Uh And, you know, for many people, uh, especially first responders and, and police yes. officers and, you know, firefighters and people in these sorts of professions, it becomes normal. You know, trauma is normalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your mind normalizes it, but your body does. Yes. Right. Yes. So like your, your yeah. body's emotional and biological reactions are that of high level stress and are that of trauma, even when your mind is kind of like, well, this is just a Tuesday, your body doesn't see it that way. For sure. And, you know, because we see her, you know, in in some of these more like mundane uh, police interactions, right? She um, chases down Oh, it's it's one of the like neighborhood kids who's struggling with drug use and she's chasing him through the town. She gets a a cut on her hand and um, You know, and we see her and, and which which for that, you know, and, and another police officer shows up and is is, you know, uh, traumatized by the sight of blood. And for uh-huh. Mare, it's just like, as you said, this is another Tuesday. Uh-huh. So we see this sort of person who's obviously been hardened by their life experiences to this point. Mm-hmm. And I wonder for you, you know, we you and I were talking about intergenerational trauma before we started mm-hmm. recording, because certainly we have Mare and we have uh, Mare's daughter, Siobhan, mm-hmm. um, who was actually the person who discovered Siobhan's brother, Mare's son, mm-hmm. um, after he committed suicide. Yeah. Um, we also have Mare's mother, um, who's obviously been in a, a 
predominant member of the family since all these things have been going on as well, since her husband committed suicide. Yeah. So for all of them to have experienced all these things um, together in many ways, really have a, a family unit who's struggling to adapt in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. So let me chat a little bit about what intergenerational or generational trauma is, and then we can kind of dive into how it shows up for everybody um, in this show. Yeah, yeah. So intergenerational trauma is exactly what it sounds like. So it's trauma that is experienced in a former generation that through like behavioral patterns or um, emotional patterns um, shows up and affects later generations. So for example, Mare's mother, when they're kind of having the the moment where she apologizes to Mayor, she says, I was angry a lot and I took it out on you. I'm sorry. And that moment kind of shows how her mother's trauma around the suicide and her mother's anger yep. affected Mare, right? And we see that that's kind of how Mare parents as well. Like, even though she's very loving and very supportive and very cute, she's also kind of short with Siobhan and her children, right? Like she's pretty to the point and, and the word you used was hardened. And, and this idea of generational trauma showed up um, kind of originally around the Holocaust and how children of Holocaust survivors had these trauma responses that weren't indicative of the lives that they were living. And it was common across the survivors' children. And so this idea kind of came up that could the parents' trauma affect the children? And then there's this really old school um, article called Ghosts in the Nursery. And Mm. what I really love about that phrase is it speaks about how the ghosts of the family can haunt the children. And like we said, that shows up here a lot. And Um, One way that it didn't show up, but I was like, ooh, this is how it could show up is when the the mother of Mare's grandson, she's exhausted because she's been working so hard and she falls asleep when the child is in the bathtub, right? Um, And then luckily she like gets him out of it. However, Trauma is what got her to that point of exhaustion, right? And she has this drug history. She has clearly just like a lot of traumatic experiences. She lost the love of her life to suicide as well. Plus, she was a fairly young mother. And let's say she had gotten custody of um, Drew. That exhaustion that she feels and and that kind of behavioral pattern of of kind of just trying to keep it together all the time would show up in how she parented Drew. And then he would then have kind of similar trauma responses because he would learn them from her as an example. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we we watch these these characters struggle in different ways and and cope in different ways, you know, whether it's Mm -hmm. um, Mayor's mom clearly drinks pretty regularly Uh as, as you know, and even, you know, a a sort of very small coping skill, like playing iPad games. I think she, she's often seen just like playing fruit ninja. Yeah. It's these sort of distraction (laughs) techniques. Right. Uh You know, and, and these are things that um, mayor does to a certain degree as well, whether it's going out to the bar you know, sort of getting into a relationship, um, multiple relationships in, at one point um, before the untimely passing of Detective Zabel. Yeah. And you, you wonder how effective, you know, these sort of coping methods are. Because then I think the, one of the most fascinating coping methods with, with trauma is Siobhan, right? So we mm-hmm. see Siobhan throughout the series making a documentary about her yeah. brother, uh-huh. who obviously committed suicide and it's about his life really more than anything. It yeah. seems like, yeah. I wonder what you, you know, thought of that because that seems like such a, 
I don't want to say confrontational, but like direct way of of dealing with trauma of like, I'm going to tell this story in a very controlled way. Yeah. I love that she's doing that. Like, I think that's a very beautiful way to kind of process her grief. I think where it becomes hard is this intergenerational behavioral patterns, right? Yes. Clearly, Mare and her mother never speak about her father. And in the same way, Mare and her ex-husband and Siobhan never talk about Kevin. And therefore, it shows up in Siobhan that she's not allowed to talk about him. So she finds a way to deal with it and to essentially talk about him, right? Through a documentary that she keeps secret from her family. However, that's how she is processing it, which I think is beautiful. However, we also see that the moment something doesn't go exactly how she wants it to with this new girlfriend that she has, that stress kind of all comes crashing down. And then because she doesn't have a meaningful way to kind of process the stress and the anxiety and the loss of a relationship, she gets high and then drinks, right? Yep. And then that's kind of how her family deals with it, right? Like this is how the different generations have dealt with it. And so she has learned that too. What is a benefit is in that moment she confronts her mother and says, it should have been you. Like I, as the young child, should not have had to have found my brother dead. And she, in that moment, is able to finally get the support that she needs because she can verbalize, we never talk about it. And then we're hopeful that with Mare going to therapy, that now she will be able to process it and talk about it as well to break that behavioral pattern, right? To to end that intergenerational trauma because it it can, right? You can always change the direction of of your behavioral patterns. But that's, yeah, another way how it shows up, even though somehow magically on her own, she has formed this beautifully therapeutic project, um, which is lovely. Yeah, and, and I think we have hope in a lot of ways for a lot of these characters at the end of the series. You know, we see Siobhan going off to uh, Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that send off, I think, is is for me, like the most hopeful thing, like Mare is probably just getting started on her journey to recovery at the end of the series. Uh Um, But for Siobhan, we really, we really see this, like she's had some reckoning moments with her mother, Mm -hmm. you know, over the trauma that they share. Um, And she's also taking these incredible steps for herself to uh, towards independence but also towards recognizing that she still wants her mom to be her mom, which I just yeah. loved in that last episode as well. Yeah. Somehow she is like the most well put together character in all of this, despite all the chaos that directly surrounds her and, and all the trauma that she's been through. And there are hints that maybe that's because her dad is a little bit better at the emotional piece. Sure. Um, you know, cause she tells him that she's in a new relationship and she shares things Berkeley with him, but not mayor. But yeah, I agree. Like she really does seem like she's, there's hope for her. I think you're right. Hope is a good word when it comes to Siobhan. Yeah. So you brought up mayor's therapist. So I thought we, we should, you know, we're going to need some time to dive into this. So <laughs> let's just, let's just go right into it. Yeah. So mayor, the conditions to which Mare is required to seek therapy are unique and concerning on their own. So Mare, um, (laughs) you know, plants drugs on her grandson's mother's, in her grandson's mother's car Mm -hmm. in the hopes of getting her in trouble so that she would lose custody and Mare would have full custody of her grandson. Um, She is found out, but gets to keep her job, which was probably one of the more shocking things of the series, if I'm being honest. No, is it? So you were not surprised that she got to keep her job? I mean, that's a pretty blatant, you know, violation of duty and also breaking the law, probably. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I think um, morally it's shocking. However, I don't want to get too too into the structure of, 
of certain industries. <laughs> sure. So it, it happens. Yes. Sure. Totally fair. Um, <laughs> so, so be that as it may, she's allowed to keep her job with the requirement that she uh, get help and take some time off from work. Yes. Um, Which so is great. She goes. <laughs> that part is like, yes, right. what led to it? Not so great. Right. Being like, hey, there's something going on. That is great. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time she's been in therapy. It seems like it, yeah. Maybe, yeah, because... You know, maybe, I, I couldn't tell if she was sort of hinting at trying it following um, her son's suicide or not, but it seemed like this was really the first time. Yeah, it, it was almost pretty clear that she like never took time off after her son. Never really dealt suicide, with it, yeah. right, yes. So to have someone in a essentially a mandated situation, someone required to come into therapy mm-hmm. to deal with the grief of the suicide of their child Mm -hmm. is a really unique therapeutic situation yeah and i i i you know watching those therapy scenes i really wanted them to go well i really wanted mare to have the support that she needed even though she was going into those sessions clearly not really interested Mm -hmm. i think she her sarcastic comment which i loved which is like okay let, let the healing begin yeah um you know she just wanted the therapist and and look you know any any therapist who's done mandated work has been in the situation where the person coming in just kind of wants you to check off the fact that you came in for therapy and sign off on it and then basically be done mm-hmm. because they don't really expect anything useful to come from it yeah and i think that's actually a moment that i really liked was in that first moment with the therapist, she was kind of like, I know that there are people who probably come in here and are not involved and not willing to be here, but I'm super willing to be here. And the therapist is like, okay, like, awesome. Like, I'll take you at your word for that. And, and in that moment, I really liked what the therapist did because she was kind of like, okay, great. Like, if you say that, awesome. That's where we'll jump off of. And I, I like that initial kind of um, interaction between them, even though it was very clear that Mare was like putting on uh, a show <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, sure, sure. Yep. Yeah, because, you know, and, and I, I, so I have worked in a mandated context. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. And, you know, as a therapist, all you can do is try to convince the person that you're on their side, right? Mm-hmm that you're not uh, working for their boss or working for their parole officer or working for the, for anyone else that's, you know, on the side of them forcing them into therapy Yeah. and in trying to kind of join them and create that relationship, whether they're motivated to have it or not is mm-hmm. certainly a challenge. And I think the therapist does an okay job, at least creates the space through which Americans start having these conversations in a way it doesn't seem like she was having them before. But and you and I, I love the way that you describe this. The therapist themselves, mm-hmm. it's kind of fine, mm-hmm. not not incredibly uh, fluid. You know, yeah. I don't know how would yeah. <laughs> I just kind of came away feeling lukewarm yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the note that I wrote about it was well, she actively feels like someone acting like a therapist. <laughs> yes. Yes. This kind of the... the... I, I came away cold. I, you know, yeah. she's trying to build a relationship and I didn't really feel it. I didn't feel the relationship building. Yes. It it felt like someone who was reading a script of what someone thinks a therapist would say. Well, and yeah, and to that end, it's almost like, almost felt like the therapist didn't want to be there either. Like you're mandated... I have to do this with you. And I think that's the worst case scenario for someone who's mandated into treatment is like, if the therapist also feels like they're kind of not into it, it just feels like there's very little chance that this is going to work out in a positive way. So that's interesting. So because I was so hyper aware that it was an actor playing a therapist, um, I Mm -hmm. didn't get the vibe of like, oh, this therapist doesn't want to be here. But 
I think you're right. Like if I had kind of bought into the fact that it was a therapist, I would have been like, why is she so rigid? Mm. But like, I, cause I definitely think there are certain phrases that we as therapists say um, that are of course. kind of cliche, right? Like occasionally I'll be like, and how do you feel about that? <laughs> right. Which, um, but when I yes. say it, I will kind of be like, okay, I know what I'm saying here, but like, how does that make you feel? And that personality. Okay. So let's pause real quick. Cause it's, yeah. Cause it's so funny that you mentioned this because I got uh, a Quora question into my email the other day that said, what are therapists trying to like uncover or learn or why basically why do we ask that stereotypical question like how does <laughs> that make you feel so funny. or what feelings are coming up for you that's so funny so what's what's your answer to that my answer is truly we want to know how it makes someone feel right so i'll give an example right. so if you are talking to someone and they say like oh like i um just got divorced our natural human reaction is to go like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, right? And sure, yep. maybe they're not sorry. Like maybe they're like, no, my partner was horrible and abusive and I feel proud and grateful that I am out of there, right? Yes. And as therapists, we are taught, you don't know what their reaction is to this experience. Let them tell you and then react to that, right? So- mm -hmm. When someone brings us a piece of information and we say something like, how does that make you feel? What we're saying is like, and what's your reaction to this thing before I try to get right. right. So, yeah, that's and that's sort of what I was going to say is yeah. that I have an assumption about how you would feel about this uh -huh. situation. But I also want to get a sense of that that person's self-awareness of uh -huh. do you recognize how you're feeling about what's yes. happening? Uh -huh. You know, how much insight, can, in other words, can you actually name the feelings or is it just uh -huh. like, I don't know, because yeah. I think that reveals a lot, um, especially in terms of what work needs to be done to address it. So mm -hmm. that's why we ask that question. Yeah. <laughs> But I think when it comes across in media, it's it's always feels like this sort of cliched, minimalist therapist doing very little task. Oh, yeah, totally. Right. They're like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. How does that make you feel? Mm -hmm, right. Yes. Yeah. The, the other day I had to say to a patient, um, I didn't have to, um, but the way we were talking, I said, like, essentially, like what you and I are talking about is like. How do we reparent your inner child? <laughs> and oh yeah, that is so not a me phrase. And that like it, I actually qualified it before I said it. And once I said it, she still laughed at me. And basically, interestingly enough, what I was talking about in that moment was I was saying like there are behavioral patterns because of how you were parented. Right. There are ways that you react to your world because of how oh, you yeah. parent it. And we need to break those patterns. We need to, quote unquote, reparent you. Um, but that really felt like one of those really cliche <laughs> phrases that I was like, I am so sorry that I am saying this. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the other vibe that I got from this therapist was, you know, because and maybe it is because mayors essentially mandated to go go deal with your grief. Uh -huh. Um was that that was also the became the therapist's goal of like, all right, let's let's sort of confront your grief. Let's deal with it. Have you uh, not not are you over this? But why haven't you dealt with it? Let's deal with it. Yeah. And that felt, you know, and I and look, any any research you look into in terms of what makes therapy work is basically like the relationship. And I understand you can't always show. Uh, mm -hmm. building relationship between a therapist and a patient because mm -hmm. that takes hours and weeks uh, to accomplish. But mm -hmm. the vibe that I got from the therapy sessions and at least the parts of it that were shown as to what we didn't see mm -hmm. was kind of like, okay, you're here. Let's confront your grief. Uh -huh. Begin confronting. And it just, it, I felt bad for Mare that this was like the context in which she was going to be forced to to deal with these really heavy issues. Yeah. I think there's kind of it's two-sided. The first one is, yeah, there's one point where 
she solves the case. And then the therapist is like, well, you've been using the cases to not focus on your grief. So we're going to focus on your grief now. And that was one of those moments where I was like, this concept is very good. This therapeutic inquiry is very good. However, it's delivered by someone who is reading a line and is not an actual therapist because there are times when we challenge our patients and we kind of go like, you kind of said that you would focus on yourself once you didn't have these cases to focus on. So what now? Right. Mm-hmm. There would be yep. moments where we would say something like that. However, the way this therapist does it, like you said, is like, okay, check, solve the case is now let's check off grief, <laughs> right. which with a patient, this deeply ingrained in her her grief and in her trauma would not just be like, okay, yeah, let's just talk about it. And there was one moment where she mentions that her dad committed suicide and the therapist essentially says like, how do you feel about that? And she goes, oh, it makes me feel like I wasn't enough for him. And I was like, okay, nobody comes to that insight that quickly unless they've had therapy or unless they've really thought about it. And Mayor would not have thought about it. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it was interesting. But, oh yeah, and then yeah, the second so, piece, sorry, the second piece yep. is that if, if we take where the show goes, right, and her yes. walking into the attic at the end of the series, clearly work has been done. So that would be something that we as therapists would say like, okay, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. And I didn't really think that there was a rapport or relationship there. However, if Mayor got to that point, then there clearly was good work that was done in therapy. So that's like the second side to it was the one side I'm like, "Mm, okay, that's not really how therapy goes. However, in real life, if that is the result that we saw, right, her starting to confront her grief, then it doesn't super matter how you get there as long as it's done ethically. Totally agree. And I, and the good things that I think this show did was the way in which they had the characters show, like tell the story, retell their story. Mm-hmm. And then for the audience to see the story happening as if it was happening live. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate that sort of version of storytelling because you could just have a shot of of Kate Winslet retelling this horrifying story, right, mm-hmm. in therapy, which is sort of what the therapy scene would have looked like. Mm-hmm. But for her to kind of narrate the story and for us to get the visual, we see what that traumatic moment must have looked like beyond just um, Mare's words. Yeah. Um, so I think that was really powerful. And, and you know, again, later on in the scenes and some of the interrogation, when when uh mayor finally confronts ryan ross and he narrates you know his uh experience of the events and and you can kind of see some of that what that traumatic event must have been like for him even though he was uh ultimately the murderer right Mm -hmm. um so i think there are some really interesting things done in terms of the portrayal of therapy and and for mayor the portrayal of someone let's say starting to deal with their trauma and their grief Mm -hmm. Well, and then also continuing to get exponential amounts of trauma, like with the awful situation where her partner got shot and there's so much more trauma for her. (laughs) Well, yeah, so I'm glad that you brought that up, right? Because, and this is, this is another really intense aspect of working with first responders, officers, is that a very high percentage of them have trauma specifically Mm -hmm. tied to their job, Mm -hmm. right? And yet, in many or even most cases, they are continuing to go to work, even despite those traumatic experiences. Yep. They might even be continuing to put themselves in situations very reminiscent of those traumatic experiences. So it can be incredibly um, challenging both for someone in therapy as well as for the therapist to kind of help them be stable and to continue to do their job and earn a living um, while also dealing with these really uh, traumatic experiences that might have just happened. I mean, we we watched Mare go from witnessing her partner 
and someone she was starting to develop feelings for his death mm-hmm. and then try to talk with connect with his mother uh, over mm-hmm. that grief gets slapped which we can at least to a certain degree understand detective zabel's mother was obviously also going through grief and that okay. was part of what that you know um interaction was where that was coming from um and then we barely hear about it after that well and the wildest part is that yeah. that is what gets her her badge back <laughs> like like that that's yes. the wildest part right is the part that sends her to therapy is okay yes it's related to her trauma and she was making really poor decisions and they're like okay go to therapy oh you just got attacked by a serial killer and also watched the man that you are sort of romantic with but also your partner get shot in the face with and had to interact with these highly traumatized young women like great come on back you're done with therapy now like that was so wild good job yeah 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 so you know as a therapist you know knowing someone is still in the traumatic situation that they're coming to see you for yeah you know that does impact the work right Mm -hmm. so i guess for you um you know, knowing that she's in therapy to deal with this one sort of very specific grieving experience, but is also now uh, has been re-traumatized and is dealing with new, new grief. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how do we navigate that um, with someone who's, you know, especially, you know, someone who's in an environment that she may continue to, and in fact does experience further trauma after the death of Dr. Zabel, Dr. Detective Zabel. Well, yeah, one thing that is really powerful is once her um, mandated therapy is done, she chooses to stay. And that, I think, is the place that I would want to be as a therapist, is encouraging them to continue to attend therapy with such a high-stress environment. And in a job like this where you know, for a small town, there's an awful lot of murder and violence that happens. However, this kind of like one thing happening after another is kind of similar to all human life, just on a much grander, more violent scale. So the number of times that I have um, worked with patients where like, you know, we, they come in for a breakup or something like that. And then they kind of start to work their way through it and they're feeling better and and less sad and engaging more in valued activities. And then they lose their job or, and then they find a new partner and they're struggling with communication. And then you go a few months down the road and then something else pops up. Right. So So now taking that and obviously like moving it much closer together and making the things much more traumatic, I think what it comes down to is like hoping that the person stays and is willing to work through each of these things and sometimes multiple things at once and pausing certain topics to fill in with more immediate topics. However, for the therapist, it's a matter of being really flexible right? Which we did not see in the therapist that Mayor had, because that therapist was like, you are here to talk about your son, (laughs) right? Like, um, super focused on that. So even when the thing they should have talked about was the fact that she had this bloody showdown, it never came up. But in our therapy, it would, right? Like we would be more- You would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Imagine. Yeah. Imagine if not. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we, we see all this, this re-traumatization and, and it's not just, um, mayor, you know, many members of this town, um, are being traumatized and re-traumatized in, in various ways, you know, and I think the, the town as a whole is interesting too. I mean, you know, it's obviously a very tight knit community. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows everyone. And everyone kind of knows everyone's business in many ways, it seems like, as well. And I just think there's, you know, there's some factors at play here 
Um, and I think Detective even Detective Zabel even remarks at some point, like, do you are you related to everyone or do you know everybody in this town? Uh-huh. I think he says something like that at some point to Mayor. Um, and it's played for for a laugh. But, you know, in, in small towns, this is absolutely the case. Uh-huh. And, you know, when I've worked with uh, teens from small towns um, like Siobhan, oh, my gosh, you know, the the sort of paranoia in a teenager that you in many cases you might blow off is like oh, okay like like just don't know worry don't worry what that person thinks and it's like well actually in a small town like this what one person thinks becomes what everybody thinks yeah. or what everybody knows or mm-hmm. becomes the whole rumor thing and i think that that's a, a real challenge i mean we we see these teens really sort of centers around the main case is is aaron mcneneman mcneneman mm-hmm. and we see some of the friends and partners of Aaron's dealing with this case as well. Mm-hmm. And I and I wonder, you know, because obviously, you know, we're not really getting into too deep on the murder mystery itself, mm-hmm. even though that is probably the most entertaining aspect of the show. But <laughs> from a mental health standpoint, you know, seeing a group of uh, friends or like a class of a high school go through a traumatic event like this, I mean, it's reminiscent of, you know, some of these sort of crazy, sad stories you see, whether it's um, school shootings or other things like that, mm-hmm. where a community is so intensely affected by one or multiple events that mm-hmm. you just know that there are incredible layers of uh, mental health struggle that are probably not being discussed. I mean, now, at least in today's world, you see, you know, um, almost like mental health teams and and things like that go in you see the i've seen um like therapy dogs and and things like that get brought into schools and things like that after events like this but i don't know it's i i get really concerned when i see a really tight-knit community with lots of drama like this because it's hard to grow up in a town like that and and not be a little i guess appropriately concerned about you know the the impact of of knowledge i don't know i don't know exactly what i'm saying you kind of get where i'm going with this well absolutely and also in the same way that we spoke about intergenerational trauma there's cultural trauma as well right like we see thank you yes that's where i'm going there is not a single person in this entire show that does not have trauma (laughs) um either their own because of suicide or murder or drug use or potential sexual trauma or an actual sexual trauma, right? Yes with, yes. with Aaron. And this you're kind of speaking to like schools where where there's shootings and things like that. Also schools where there's suicide. Oh my gosh. Yes, even more so. Yeah, Absolutely. Oftentimes um like hordes of like, not hordes, but like groups of counselors will come in and like offer support. And, and what I've often seen Mm -hmm. is the teens that are most affected by the suicide. So like the best friend, um, or the sibling, they're often weirdly overlooked in those scenarios because Hmm. when they check in with the counselors, they go like, yeah, no, it sucks. I'm fine. Because the rapport is hard to build with the counselor or the therapist because it feels so put on oftentimes to the teenagers. It's the way that it's been described is, yeah, I felt like the person was coming in and just wanted to check off that they had seen me. Right. Like, yep. Checked in with the best friend of the kid that killed himself. They they wanted me to say that I was okay. And yeah, yeah. 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 And And I think, you know, then when you pair that with like parents who kind of leave kids to like their own grief or like um, don't talk kind of the way that Mare doesn't, those kids' trauma never gets dealt with. Um, And then that leads to like long-term mental health that can sometimes appear to be, it can appear to be like a personality disorder when really it's just childhood trauma that was never dealt with. Like there have been experiences that I've had where people have like seen their friend 
like 10 years later and people are like, oh, they're hallucinating. Like we need to look into like, what is the schizophrenia? Is it whatever? And it's like, no, it's still just undealt with trauma. (laughs) Um, And that can happen in a community, right? Is if on the other side of it, right? If you're not the kid's best friend, but you knew of them, you also have trauma and your trauma becomes disenfranchised grief because they're like, well, you didn't really know him or you didn't really know her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so then that child's trauma doesn't get dealt with. And then that turns into intergenerational trauma and the parents also kind of imagining like, what if it had been my kid and what am I missing? And yeah, no, you're right. Cultural trauma is a huge thing, especially in such a tight knit group. Yeah. Yeah, that I think I was just watching the show feeling like the tightness of everyone dealing with something heavy mm-hmm. and, and different things. Like they're all different, all dealing with different things, but but all all at the same time, all impacted by something. Yeah. And that is so hard, you know, to build, you know, effective relationships in that sort of like dynamic, mm-hmm. right? If you're all sort of struggling so much that that's, that's and I think that's something that the show did well is every communicate every conversation it felt like was layered with tension for one reason or another and yeah. i think that was probably fairly fairly accurate in terms of what a community would be going through under yeah. circumstances like this i think the perfect illustration of that is when at the funeral the man said that he had an affair with mayor's mother and she's like oh my god like this is not the time or the place but those like interconnected relationships right like even at this yes, funeral, yes. this essentially entirely unrelated woman, she's not entirely unrelated from Mare. And also right. that scene is like the simplest form of the like tagline that you said, like all truths will come to light or something like that. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Because throughout the show, kind of everybody's secrets come to light, whether it's Siobhan saying like, I'm mad at you. It shouldn't have been me or whether it's who murdered Aaron through communication and through stress and trauma, like all of it comes to light. And I think that's why at the end we are able to have those moments of hope because when you talk about your trauma and when you um, process your grief and when you, share your anger it becomes lighter it comes light yeah yeah and i guess just to wrap up here as we get close there was one you know because i think we have to deal with the season finale to a certain extent Uh i think there was a lot of fascinating i think decision points that mayor in particular had to navigate right so we learn, um, at least at the start of the season finale, who we think is the murderer, uh-huh. um, and Mayor is able to to navigate that, and 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 you you kind of are maybe things are kind of starting to go back to normal in this town, and then she gets the random call from the guy who had an affair with her mom, um, and he casually mentions that his gun was missing, and then we're we're back on the hunt, right? Of of maybe this is we didn't get the whole story the first time around. Uh-huh. So then Mayor, you know, discovers that the gun was taken by Ryan Ross and he is likely uh, the murderer. Mm -hmm. And she's faced with this decision of, I have this information. Um, You know, I have a uh, an admitted I have a suspect who admitted to the crime already locked up Mm -hmm. and yet, you know, presented with new evidence. And she didn't really hesitate. As far as we could tell, you know, she and I think this was a sort of character marker of Mare is as soon as she kind of got her mind on something mm-hmm. um, that she moved forward. Right. She, mm-hmm. So she got this evidence and immediately called it in, immediately went over to find Ryan at school. And mm-hmm. then he ran and she immediately called it in to kind of go to the house. And mm-hmm. and I think. You know, I see a lot of people talking about this decision as like, could Mare have just kind of let it go? Mm-hmm. And that's what Ryan's mom, you know, says to her in the aftermath is, you know, that's my Ryan. You could have just let it go. You could have just forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. And as obviously as a therapist who's aware that Mare has all this 
uh, guilt and and grief already. I'm trying to picture a scenario in which she let someone be in jail knowing that they did not commit the crime. And I, I guess I see why she did what she did in many ways, even though it is absolutely heartbreaking having to put a, what was he, 12 or 13? Yeah. Ryan is 12 or 13 at the time. Yeah. So I think that's a moment yeah. where she could have been okay with it, I think, because she does know the family. And so she would have been doing it in order to help them help their child, right? And I think we as humans can justify anything when it's for the ones that we love, right? Like, I think if it was some random Joe Schmo that was in jail at the expense of Ryan's freedom, that she might have struggled with. But I think her knowing that it was her friend actively taking responsibility so that his son didn't, that kind of would have put them all on the same team. However, Mare is kind of, well, I was going to say by the book, but then again, no, she's not, right? Because she put the drugs on. No, clearly um, not. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so that was interesting. I I did like that when she was calling Ryan in after he ran, she did struggle saying that they were in pursuit because he was a murder suspect, which kind of shows that she didn't love that she was doing it. However, like you said, she didn't really hesitate. Another thought that I just had now while you were speaking about that was, I think for Ryan's mental health, this was the best outcome. And the reason why is kind Mm. of that piece I just spoke about, about your stuff coming to light, making it easier. If Ryan's dad had stayed in prison and Ryan the whole time had known that it was him, I think that that guilt would have created its own. I mean, we saw what his guilt did at school, right? He got into a fight. He burst into tears. He wasn't doing well at home. I think that kind of mental health pattern would have continued because of the guilt of knowing that it was him and his father had taken credit for it paired with the fact that he's a really good kid, right? So him going to juvenile hall, um, juvenile detention, kind of in the way that they portrayed it, like he's taking a class and it's not ideal, but he's still connecting with his family. Yes, there are things that he's missing out on. However, I think that guilt would have eaten him up being this kid with high levels of of empathy. Um, And so I think, you know, the, the few years that he would have been in um, in juvenile detention, I think long-term benefit his mental health rather than, rather than the guilt, like I said. Yeah, I totally agree. I, um, you know, guilt is one of those things that, much like grief, you know, can stay with you forever mm-hmm. if not appropriately dealt with. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And it, it did bring up some um, some analogs for me. Obviously, it's not the same thing, but this was a conversation that I saw happening on Twitter this week was, um, I think, and and I'll, maybe I'll try to credit the therapist uh, in her notes, but just sort of acknowledging that um, therapists are not always trying to send kids or any patients, for that matter, to the hospital or to inpatient, just at the whim of uh, passing comment. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's not something that we... um, take lightly and it's sort of you know listening to i guess or watching Lori be so upset with mayor because she did charge ryan Mm -hmm. it it brought back some of the memories of you know situations when i've had to um refer a patient into inpatient or into the hospital whether they were due to substance use or because they were a danger to themselves Mm -hmm. and it's not an easy decision but it's one that as therapists we're trained to make the right call in those circumstances in the best interest of the patient. And it's one that hopefully we don't hesitate to make, especially when, you know, patients that we're working with are a danger to themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think it's something that I just personally wanted to talk about for a second, because I think there is this, you know, we talk about, you know, sort of therapy cliches all the time. I think something that is often 
feared or even expected is that if I say the word suicide or suicidal thoughts that you're going to try to, uh, you know, send me to inpatient or, you know, put me in a straitjacket if we're mm -hmm. talking like old school, yeah. you know, movies, right? And that's just not the case. Nope. We want to make sure that you're safe, of course, is the first priority. And there are a lot of uh, ways that we will determine and, and talk to you about that before we, you know, rush into any decision. So anyone who's worried about sharing that kind of feeling with your therapist, trust that it is not a decision that we just make haphazardly and mm -hmm. that we will talk to you about the rationale, we'll talk to you about why. And and in many cases, we don't want to send you to inpatient if we don't have to. So we it's something that we, we try to yeah, exactly. Um, we want to put you in the best position as well. So yeah. it's not a it's not a direct correlation, but I saw a lot of people talking about it online this week and and watching um, Ryan's mom really struggle with the the knowledge that you know her son was going to have to go into the situation mm -hmm. when maybe he didn't have to. Kind of brought up those some of those memories for me. So yeah, and I think yeah. it's very similar to when you are working with a teenager and then you do feel a need to let their parent know about something that they have shared with you and risking that relationship, that rapport that you've built. Yes. And what I find interesting is how often the teenagers usually go like, no, I get why you did it. Um, rather than hmm. like you as the therapist are like, oh, they're going to hate me. They're going to refuse to meet with me. And it's going to be such an effort to try to get them back on my side again and, and get us on the same team. And, and how frequently they're kind of like, I mean, I'm a little upset about it, but like, I get why you did it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's actually kind of wild how often that happens. However, I think there often are these reactions like Mare's friend where she is like, you should have just left it alone. Like you shouldn't have said anything. Well, right. Cause that's often, it's often the, the parent or the friend or the sibling who is the one that doesn't understand. Right. Yeah. Whereas I think to your point, the, the person who's experiencing those, those thoughts or those circumstances, they do understand that, that what they're experiencing is not, is not, uh, something that should be taken lightly. So, yeah. so yeah, so that's uh, my tangent for the day. So since we've gotten to tangent points, why don't we wrap up our conversation around uh, mayor of Easttown Absolutely. with some reviews? Absolutely. So. so on a scale from one to five detective Colts, is that what the gun was called? How... Colt 45s. Yeah. Colt 45. Yeah. It was like the detective Colt 45. <laughs> yes. Yes. How entertaining did you think Mayor of Easttown was? So I always do entertaining by how excited I am to talk to uh, <laughs> you or my wife or my siblings about it. Uh -huh. And I mean, it was all, it wasn't all we talked about all weekend before the uh, finale, but it was something we were referencing quite regularly. Um, so it, for me, it's a five out of five easy. Excellent. It, you know, brilliantly acted, you know, really well written. It's a great story. And I think it was just long enough that they didn't, it didn't start feeling like it was dragged out. So mm -hmm. agreed. five out of five, easy. Awesome. Really loved it. Yeah. I hope, hope Kate Winslet does some more Philly based work. Totally. <laughs> and I also want to give a huge shout out to that casting director, because if you look at the families, they all look related. Like the children pretty all good. look like they belong yep. to the parents. It's wild and incredibly done. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> all right. So Haley, on a scale of zero to five uh, Wawa hoogies, um, <laughs> assuming you don't have any experience with Wawa yourself, how accurate did you feel like Mayor of Easttown was in uh, regards to the mental health uh, issues it portrayed? Absolutely. So I'm going to give it a, well, I have two ratings. So um, okay, great. the therapy therapist rating, like a one and a half or a two. Um, okay. Did not think that that therapist was great. Um, and I think that like, you know, all the things we talked about, how kind of stiff and like ultra focused on grief and kind of pushing her along 
that's not how therapy goes. And I just was kind of like, this is clearly an actor like the whole time I was watching it. So very unimpressed with that. It's also funny how many of the shows we've done have therapy in it, which I think speaks to how our culture is changing. And then the second rating that I have is for kind of like how they portray mental health in these circumstances. And I think I'm going to say a three and a half Wawa hoagies um, because there's so much violence and trauma in this town that I almost expect more people to be more, have more struggle, right? Like they all kind of seem to be generally okay. And I, we didn't really see kind of like why, right? We didn't see too many people engaging in like valued activities or having strong relationships or things like that, that would be like, okay, well, this would balance out the trauma. However, I do think it did a fantastic job for the trauma that it did portray, how, how it portrayed it, right? So with how the family deals with the death of Kevin, um, with how Mare deals with kind of shutting people out with how her mother, you know, drinks and plays fruit ninja. I think that was all done really well. But like the fact that a woman can be kidnapped and held captive and then go through that super bloody, terrifying rescue and then just be like comfortably walking into a home and be like, oh my gosh, this is my new home with my daughter. Everything's fine. Sure. That's not how trauma happens. (laughs) Right. So yeah. So I guess with that, I give it like a three and a half for what it did. It did well. However, it missed some pretty big trauma stuff. Yeah. So Haley, we are hoping to get um, some audience reactions, some audience feedback, some audience questions, both on Mayor of Easttown and more uh, shows and movies that we discuss. So uh, pay attention to our social media for things that we're going to be covering in the near future. If you have a question or a hot take on something that we are going to talk about, we would love to hear it and maybe even include it and respond to it in the episode. Mm-hmm. So definitely pay attention to that on any social media that you follow us on. Feel free to send us questions. As always, feel free to send us suggestions about things you want us to cover. Um, and we would love to have some more audience participation on the show. Absolutely. And speaking about that upcoming, we have marriage story, um, the weight of gold. We've got soul and Bridgerton, which are all really fun conversations and topics. So if you want to follow along, please, um, go ahead and watch those things and, um, we'll speak to you about them in the future. I guess we'll speak at you about them in the future. Yes, we will. So definitely pay attention for those episodes coming up. And as always, thank you for listening. And Haley, thank you as always for joining me. Yes, thank you so much. And um, rate, review, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pop Psych 101. <music>